This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 222. You guys have, you know, the number one site on the on the planet. And and I think a lot of people, you get a lot of kudos, and I want to give you kudos as well. I mean, it's 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 incredible what you guys have created here. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, man? Oh, you know, just uh, sitting around here doing uh, nothing in, in the sunshine while you're yeah. in Denver. In the cold, yeah. you know. In the sunshine, yeah. Looks like you got like some uh, some sunblock on your nose there, man. I, I I might I might get a little bit like stuck all over my face and uh, yeah yeah you know I'm still That's here. That's called ugly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh is on fire today. No, I'm out here in Hawaii still, and I still got my kind of bad microphone that I had last week because I'm waiting to get my good one fixed. But uh, anyway, so pardon the crappy mic today, but uh, no, I'm still uh, yes. out here on my Hawaii trip, which I'm trying to get Josh to come out. So if you guys want to hit Twitter, J.R. Dorkin, and tell Josh to get out to Hawaii so we can go surfing together. Brandon's too cheap idea. to buy me a flight. <laughs> I offered to buy it out of the, you know, out of the <laughs> bigger <laughs> pockets <laughs> publishing account. Yeah. Out of your money. Exactly. I will, I will easily use your credit card for this. You get some good miles uh, right. out of it. All right. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Good, good show hey, man, today. So, awesome show. T- yeah, today's show is awesome with a, with a bigger pockets power, 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 power user. user. Yes, yes, yes. So it's it's an incredible show. Like this guy has led a journey over decades that is fascinating. He's done a whole lot of amazing stuff, and and uh, we're we're gonna dive in. This show is for everybody, and it's it's just inspirational. I think so. Um, before we do, this is show two twenty two of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show two two two. Brennan. Do we have a quick tip today? We do have a quick tip. Very, very, very quick. If you've not yet left a new member introduction in the forums, go do that today. You'll hear why later in the uh, episode. Right on biggerpockets.com slash forums. Cool. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? 
With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. All right, guys. So today's guest, like I said before, this guy has been around the block. You've seen, probably seen him around the site. He's got 14,500 plus posts. As of uh, last night when we put the intro together, he's everywhere on the site and he is constantly giving out advice and it's usually pretty much spot on. He doesn't pull his punches. Yeah. And like I said, he's been out there. He's been doing it all. So let's bring him on. All right, Jay, welcome to the show, man. It is uh, definitively a pleasure to have you here after all these years. Well, it's my pleasure and I'm happy to be here. So for those people who don't know, Jay has been a very, very active member of our Bigger Pockets forums. In fact, I looked it up today, 15,000, something like that, 15,000 posts, which is uh, what top five, I think. I think Josh is beating you here. Josh Dorgan. Is he incarcerated? Is that, what's, is that what's going on? Is he locked away? Is that why? <laughs> he, he, he might be. He spends a lot of time on our forums. That's, <laughs> it's, so so we're, uh, we're kind of excited. I mean, honestly, Jay, I don't like... I've seen you give advice on a ton of stuff and you have experience, it seems like, in almost every area of real estate. Is that true? I mean, like, do you have you done a lot of stuff? Well, I, I grew up in the industry and then I got licensed at 18 and uh, I've been doing it for 42 years actively. Okay. So, yes, I've I've done quite a bit of different things in real estate, kind of a role with what's hot at the moment and, and never get too stuck in, in one niche and uh, I've always had an open mind. Awesome. Love mm-hmm. it. Well, so let's let's just get the whole story. I mean, you know, as somebody who's done a lot, I'd love to to learn how, how your path came about and and how you got started at at eighteen and and um, yeah, if you could just share the story, uh, you know, kick it off with how how you said the family was involved. Yeah, my my dad was a real estate broker, and my dad had gone from a lot of different jobs and had finally got into real estate in the mid sixties. And, you know, finally found his calling, did quite well at it. He was a, a, a very good salesman. And I started to go out to college. I actually went to Colorado. I went to Leadville, of all nice. places. I was at Colorado Mountain College. And I wasn't, I just didn't enjoy, I was just done with school. And my dad uh, said, come back home and you can live at the house. And then why don't you get your real estate license? So I did that. I had graduated high school a year early. So right about my 18th birthday, I took my license course and got my license. And then um, I started working on the easiest thing I thought to sell at the time. And that was land because land uh, was traditionally owner financed. You didn't have any appraisals, no banks. And, you know, being a kid at 18, you didn't want to wait a long time and go through a lot of red tape to get a commission check. So I defaulted to what was the quickest thing I could sell and the quickest thing to get paid on. And it, it took a little time to get going, but after about 90 days, I I made my first commission check of $665. And, you know, I was off and running. I mean, it just it just snowballed from there. 
Nice. Nice. And would you recommend other people who are thinking about getting started to take that same path to to start by getting their license to to learn the business? Well, that you know, that was, you know, 1975 and that was pre-internet, pre all this stuff. So I I can't really say that there's a lot of different paths and people are able to fast forward into different kinds of investing a little easier than in my day. But I do believe a real estate license uh, will give you some foundation. And I think a lot of these folks, especially if they're fix and flippers, a real estate license is all, almost mandatory just simply because of the money you can save on, you know, when you're buying a property commissions and when you're selling. And, and sometimes if you have a deal that doesn't go right, a commission, a listing commission could be the difference between breaking even or making a profit. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, For sure. So I was going to ask, what, what about like when you got into real estate investing? So you started out as an agent. How long did it take you to actually get into the investing side where you're starting buying and selling your own properties? I probably didn't start buying properties for 10 years, 12 years, other than my own personal residences. Now, remember, I lived in the Bay Area. So we were already, by the time I would, you know, my second, well, my first house was in 1977 was $100,000 you know, which was a lot of money in those days. And then my next house in Palo Alto was almost 200 in 1982. And again, probably 10 times what you could buy a house for in other parts of the country. Do you still have those houses? Oh yeah, I sure do. Oh yeah. All seven of them I owned in the Bay Area. I I, sure, I got it right in my portfolio. (laughs) Good for you, man. Good for you. No, I sold them like everybody would do. And moved up the chain, right? So, um, because they would never go over, you know, 300,000. It's got to stop. It can't keep going up, can it? The house I paid 184 in Palo Alto, I think was just, listed at 2.4 million. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's it, it got crazy in the Bay Area. Who was to know? That was pre-computer, yeah. you know? Yeah. That was, that was pre-Apple and Google and everything else. So that that's kind of um, most of my income at that point. And I got married early, had kids early, went to, you know, raising my family and saving money. And I didn't really start to invest until my late 20s when I had, you know, I was property capitalized, you know? Right and I, again, in those days, you didn't go out and, you know, with no internet and connecting with investors and lenders giving 100% mortgages and all the other kind of stuff that they did there for a while, you know, you had to have some capital. Yeah. So let, let me ask you, it took you 10 years. I mean, you waited to, uh, until you had capital to to get started. My My question really ties to real estate agents because there's so many real estate agents who never, ever become investors. And, you know, I think it's a shame because they have access to all this information um, that puts them ahead of the game. Why do you think more agents aren't out there investing? And if you had advice for other agents who feel like maybe they're stuck, who want to do it, but never can quite get there, what would you say to them? Well, I I think a lot of the agents that, well, the ones that really want to get into investing tend to go to commercial real estate. And, And the ones that do go to commercial real estate do quite well. Very, very well. I met Joel Owens, who's on this site in Oakland, and you know he's done extremely well as a as a commercial broker. So with the other agents that are that are selling houses, I think they just get really busy, and a lot of them, you know, they they live a lifestyle. They'll they'll make enough money to live a lifestyle that they like, and and they're happy. Um, I do know a lot of agents that that make you know mid six figures and up, and then those folks do invest. You know, it's it's just like any 
everybody out there in, in America, only a certain amount of people really want to invest. Not everybody wants to. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. True. That makes sense. So I'm curious, like when you got into the game, like when you bought your first property, I mean, what was that? First of all, what, do you remember what year that was and what was that and how did you end up, how'd that story come about? Uh, on an investment side, I was yeah. buying, to, st to start with, I was buying land. Okay. I didn't buy houses. I was buying land and then uh, reselling it on terms. And so I would buy properties in Northern California, Sonoma, Lake, Mendocino counties, and I would um, then sell them on, you know, 10 and 20 year contracts. So I, I kind of got into the, my version of cash flow in those days was I picked up a property at a tax sale for $8,000. I sold it for 40 with 5,000 down and 400 a month for 20 years. Oh. That, that was my version of investing. And I did, I did a lot of that. And so, that's, you know, I was going to say, does that still work today? I mean, is that still a thing? Uh, it is in, in the land business. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Certain areas. Yep. Okay. Do you still do that kind of stuff? Like what's been like since then, how long did that continue for? Well, I, I did that as I rolled into, I kind of got out of that and I got into to, to lending. I fell into the lending business. So by the late eighties, I had built up this cash flow that got me through the kind of the crunch. And then uh, I actually went to work for a hard money lender that had been lending my dad a lot of money over the years in his land developments. And uh, I mentored with him and he didn't have any heirs and no secession. And he was older and he passed away and I ended up owning the company. He sold it to me. Oh, wow. So uh, it was a already up and running $50 million hard money company in Oakland. Wow. So I, I did that for about five years and then kind of got burnt out. And we had the recession in the 90, late early 90s in California. And I got offered to be bought out by Spartan Mortgage. And I went ahead and took that buyout and changed gears and came up to the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. I found that decade of the 90s, I found the timber business, which I loved. That's oh wow! Another story. <laughs> oh man, we're well, we're gonna dive into that because you're you're obviously a fascinating man. So the the first question is, how do we go and identify somebody who's got a great business that has no errors uh, <laughs> who can pass it down to us? Because that sounds like a really cool plan. Yeah, it was like I said, it was just uh, my dad had done business with him for twenty years, and because I was palling around with my dad in real estate from seven years old, they they all know knew me as a little kid. Yeah. So now I'm like thirty two, and and Jack needs somebody to help him, and I came in, and and in California you just needed to be a real estate broker to be a hard money lender, which I was, yep. and uh, so you know a year and a half of driving around, and I say I can do this, I know how to, you know, I can figure out what value is. Nice. So, uh, yeah. can, can you explain for those? I mean, I think most people are familiar with a, what a hard money lender is, but just in case there's people listening that aren't, can you explain what is a hard money lender and why would somebody use them? Well, in today's version, a hard money lender is uh, they call themselves private money lenders, hard money lenders, and uh, it's, it's basically private capital or raised through some sort of PPM, or folks will have a, um, a credit facility with a local bank, and they they will bring in investor or bank money, and then they relend it out to uh, investors, primarily for fix and flip. I'd say 90% of the hard money lending is in fix and flip. And the reason that there's such a market for it right now is, you know, post 08, uh, the banks have gotten out of it. I mean, it's it's pretty tough to get to walk into a bank and say, hey, I watched, you know, on TV and and I want to now be a flipper. 
right? Because I too want to make $40,000 a month. And will you, you give me a loan? I mean, the banks are just not giving those loans. Yeah. So the hard money niche fills that void of capital to buy, fix up and resell properties. Okay. That and, makes sense. Yeah. And they, and they do that and they, they've tightened up their criteria quite a bit as well. They almost underwrite to bank standards. At least they were last few years. It's starting to get more competitive. I will say that the crowd funders that have come in, uh, the lending homes of the world and realty shares and those folks have put a lot of price compression into pricing for hard money, especially out here on the West coast. It's not a, a lot higher now than uh, bank bank financing. If you, you know, if you could get bank financing. Interesting. Right right. So can you, ahead, can you explain, right. let's say I'm somebody who I, I want to be a fix and flipper and I want to be, you know, the next fix and flip star on TV. How do I go out and get a hard money loan? Like what is a lender going to look for in my, in my loan application? Well, you have to have capital. That's the first thing. And as I watch and answer on bigger pockets, a lot of folks are thinking a hard money lender is going to be their gap funder, is going to be their equity lender. And that's just not the case. If someone wants to go out and fix and flip, the first thing they need to do is put their equity together, whether that's they have their own personal equity or they're going to put a little group of friends together. You know, hey, everybody pitch 10 grand in or friends and family that will give them, you know, unsecured equity. So once you have unsecured equity, or true equity, then the hard money lender is going to look at your back. They usually do a background check and then they'll usually do a credit check. A lot of them will have different criteria where you're at at credit. When I ran my hard money companies, credit was not a big issue to me, but that's kind of what the competition did as well. It was more about equity. So most lenders are are really keen, keen on equity. Okay. And is there a percentage like a, a, you know, loan to value LTV? that you see lenders today looking for? Yeah, yeah, the market right now is, it's gotten a lot better. I was just talking to one of the big crowdfunders yesterday and and on a, like a $5 million line of credit. And they were at, they've gotten to 75% LTV or ARV and they'll do 90% of cost. And that's about, that's about, so 10% equity. When I do my construction loans for new construction, that's where I'm at with my banks. Uh, rates are better, but I'm at uh, 90% of cost, 75% ARV. Okay. So can you explain like how that would work out in terms of like a real deal? Like let's say there was- Yeah, a- I was going to say for like a newbie, just, you know, like let's dumb this down <coughs> as much as we can for somebody who's never done this, right? So you were going to go with a hypothetical there? Yeah, Brandon? I was going to say like, let's say it was a, you know, I mean, let's go, let's go fix and flip. Let's say I wanted to buy a property that I could buy the property for 200000 and it needs $100,000 worth of work. So total $300,000 in thing. I think it'll be worth four hundred dollars when I'm done. Like, how does a hard money lender look at a deal like that? I could buy it for two, put $100,000 into it, and it's worth... So, four. well, first first off, what they're going to do is they're going to look at ARV, your four hundred. dollars The max exposure they're going to have is 75% of that. Okay. So roughly $300,000. And then they're going to want at least 10% of cost. So theoretically you would have, they would go to 300, but they want 10% of cost. That's 30 grand. So they're going to loan you about 270,000. You're going to come in with a check for, for 30. Now that's for very experienced folks. That would be like someone like myself for newbies or people that are just starting out. You can figure on double the equity requirement if, if not more. And then I know other lenders that won't, won't lend any of the rehab. 
and they'll just give you 80% of purchase price. And then you have to have your own cash for the rehab. Yeah. So it, it just depends on what the company underwriting rules are. Sure. And I like that you brought up too, like, you know, maybe it's your cash that you bring, or maybe it's you put together, you know, a little partnership with a couple of friends or something like it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I don't have 30 grand. I can't do that deal. But it's, well, you know, how am I going to come up with that $30,000? You know, maybe it's a, a line of credit if you have a home equity line of credit on your house or, yeah, a partner, family member, friend, whatever. There's, there's more ways to skin a cat than one. Is that the, is that the phrase? Am I butchering yep. that phrase? <laughs> uh, no, you got more it. than one way to skin a cat. There you go. All right. Anyway. So, so yeah, and that, and that's the biggest thing that I see where folks, you know, as it relates to posting on bigger pockets, they're they're trying to get their first couple deals, but they don't really honor the equity. They don't. They're they're trying to find this, you know, unicorn private lender to loan them money because they're only getting one percent in the bank, and they should lend it to them for eight percent and take an equity position, which is really a junior position to a big lender. It's as, it's as risky as anything you can do in the lending business or the investing business. So folks, really, if they're going to, you can do that as you get experience in the business and build your track record and your portfolio and your book of business. But starting out, you need to be able to, you want to bring those folks in and give them a super handsome return to where, Hey, I'll, I'm making a lot of money on this deal because I'm, I'm, I'm believing in you to start your first couple of deals and then we're going to kind of grow a business together. More of a capital partner. I like to call them capital partners as yeah. opposed to investors. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. So you got a whole long story. So we, we're probably going to be jumping around here a little bit. Um, speaking of jumping around, I do want to go back to, to land and then I want to get into this timber thing that you were talking about. So on the land, you, you said, you know, you go to a sale, you can pick up property, I, I forget your exact numbers that you threw out there, but pick up property at, 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 an, at an auction and you pretty much just sell it later and you were collecting payments on it. How, how would somebody go about doing that today? Is that, uh, you know, you said it's still possible, but how, how would somebody find land where they can do that with? How would somebody go about figuring out how to make money with, with land? Well, the first thing I have to do is qualify that. I did not, there's there's plenty of land you can buy in the Western United States at tax sales and all over that's basically worthless desert plots that have no true value to any anybody and they're, they're traded in these tax sales and have been for the last hundred years. I targeted properties that were close in, could actually be built on, um, and a lot of times I would put a driveway in, I might perk it, I might put a well on it. I mean, I get it ready for the turnkey person who wants to build a home on it, or maybe it's going to bring a mobile home in there, that type of situation. So there are people that tout, you know, buying any old land out in the middle of nowhere. And that's not what I'm talking about. I was very specific on buying properties that, that I could add value to, and then, you know, get, make the Delta on it. Got it. So you're talking, you know, adding power, water lines, making sure sewage, making sure that the land's prepped, and then you turn it over to the guy who's going to build on it. Exactly. Exactly. We're, we're talking, you know, usable, buildable, something you can, you know, that you're proud to sell. Got it. Okay, cool. Thank you for the clarity on that. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you, you talked about 
finding yourself in the 90s in the timber biz. You, you went from this lending biz, ended up somehow into the timber biz. What, what does that mean? Is that more land or? What, what? Yeah, it was it was land. And again, it's, you know, it's your 15 degrees of separation. I was, my parents at the time were living in Maui and I went over there for Christmas. And my dad says, you got to meet this guy at the pool. He's, he's wild. He's from Portland, Oregon, and he's in the timber business. So I meet him and, and he's just this, the greatest guy, right? You know, a lot of us Northwesterners are really neat people. And uh, we, are, we are. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, what? Anyway, and, and the folks in the timber business. So he starts to describe this, and he was really cute because he didn't know anything about real estate. He called it realty. I was driving him <laughs> by this piece of realty, and uh, you know, and he's a logger, right? He's a logger. They call him Jippo loggers. And and it had a for sale sign on it. It had a realty sign on it. And I walked up and I cruised the timber. Cruise the timber means to do like an appraisal of the timber, value your timber. And boy, I think there's like $160,000 worth of timber on this property. And I called the real estate agency, the realty, and they wanted 120 for it. There's got to be a way we can buy that. And it had a little little house on it. It was out at Gaston, Oregon. And I said, okay, I, I mean, the numbers start going through my head. Okay, we can buy this property, log it, end up with the land free and clear. I, I can do that. So I, and this is the day before Southwest Airlines. It cost me $900 to fly to Portland from San Francisco. <laughs> I fly up there. I look at it. I don't know one tree from Shinola. I thought they were all pine <laughs> trees. You know, they were fir trees. And I just took a, a risk. I said, okay, I'll put the 120 up. And uh, let's do it. And sure enough, he, we logged the thing in two weeks. We get like $157,000 in cash back in the bank in 30 days. And now we own this 40 acres with a house on it free and clear, which when we had the equipment in there, we did a bunch of clearing and made little little uh, like picnic areas and whatnot. And uh, we put it back on the market for 129 sold it for 110 uh, that summer. And I'm like, this is a new business. Yeah. So so then what happened is and and your bigger pockets folks are going to really love this especially those that are into direct mail and marketing. I would say well well Steve he was my partner. How do you find these timber deals? Well, I get up at five o'clock in the morning in my truck and I just start driving up the roads and, you know, again, pre Google Earth or anything. I just start driving up the roads. And when I see a patch of timber, I drive up the driveway and knock on the door. I go, oh, that's 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 just totally inefficient. And so I said, I want to go to the courthouse. I want to see what kind of maps they have. So I go into the courthouses, the local county courthouses here. And they have the best mapping and telemetry stuff. You can you can take a, a um, you know the the uh, plat maps and overlay a aerial on them, and you can tell right there if they have timber on them. Said so I said okay, well we're going to create our own database. So long story short, I created a database from the Oregon border to just south of Tacoma. Every property that had marketable timber or visible timber on it that wasn't owned by Weyerhaeuser or Willamette Industries or somebody like that, uh, that was privately held, 10 acres or more with visible timber, and we we created a database on those. Wow. Then we went in. In the old days, you could get the reverse directory, right? So this is like 92, 93. We get the reverse directory, and then I have telemarketers come in, and I start calling them. <laughs> In the evenings, hey, we're going to be out. This is now like sighting salesman. We're going to be out in your neighborhood, and we're going to be logging right down the street. Would you like a valuation of your timber? No one's ever called them. People in rural areas of the Northwest never get telemarketed. You couldn't get them off the phone. 
You know, <laughs> they want to chat with you. Oh yeah, we don't know what our timber's worth. So boom, I I took him from doing 10, 12 deals a year to where we were averaging close to 100, 100, wow. 100 a year. Wow. And and I saved him from driving around aimlessly, driving up driveways. <laughs> so amazing. so my my telemarketer would make an appointment. My secretary would make a map. He's not very good with directions, you know. So we'd have this whole directions <laughs> to get there, and then and then I ran the back end. I got us all our financing. I I got um, customized lines of credit with my local banks here to buy timber because you can buy timber as timber deeds as well. You don't have to buy the land. A lot of the people were, I don't want to sell my land. I don't want to sell my land. I said, well, we don't have to. We can buy your timber. Well, I don't want I don't want you to cut it because I don't know what I'm going to get. Say no problem. I'm going to I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollar check before I ever move on to the property. Well, we did that through a normal escrow. It was a timber deed, and uh, my bank would then advance off my timber deed line of credit. So we were doing this total OPM. We we had a hundred percent financing. Wow, that's amazing. You know the most amazing part of this whole thing, which by the way, incredibly clever, was that your partner. Uh, was able to get within what three thousand dollars of the amount of <laughs> the value oh, of the timber on the property. Like that's insane. Oh yeah, he's he's uncanny. I but he but he was grew up in the industry. He owned a mill, and you know he's been in the woods all his life. Did yeah. you did you buy like out, Brandon? <laughs> did you buy out in Aberdeen, like Grays Harbor, what, my area? Um, I looked at one big chunk up above. It was they had started to make a subdivision out of it. It was on the north west side of town and it was just like half built but we we never put it together it was uh you know the the economy was kind of changing the guy that owned it was a engineer down here in portland so i didn't pull the trigger on that one yeah uh, makes sense well i noticed i noticed probably, you know, probably I have, a good idea probably a good idea i have a i have a keyword alert set up you know in bigger pockets you have keyword alerts that you get triggered when people mention your area and so i always get triggered not always but you know, Jay mentions Aberdeen occasionally or Grace Harbor occasionally, and I always get jump in those conversations. You're one of the few guys that that knows where I live and and kind of how I. Well, am, so it's like a you know one of my favorite little weekend flights is up. Well, it used to be up to Hoquiam there to have a hamburger at the the airport nice. there. Yeah, <laughs> which now is shut down and into the the restaurant. Yeah. There. Yeah, I'd go there and then up to Friday Harbor and then. Do so you guys need home. a room or something? We, we, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go flying someday. We ha- we haven't yet, but we're still doing it. So. I know, I know. Yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll get yeah. you this summer. You were having yeah. a baby, and I thought, I well, your your young wife okay. is gonna want to go. This is, this is a podcast, gentlemen. <laughs> this is, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just interrupt this right, love bring fest us back. and bring bring us dive back. in here. All right, Jay. So. This is awesome. I, I love it that, you know, again, very, very clever. What next? So, you, you know, you've, you've gone through this run on, on the timber biz. Obviously, there's a transition at some point. What was it and well, why? Part, part of the timber business, the reason it was so good was because the Japanese economy. The export logs were just hugely valuable. When their economy kind of tanked, the timber business started to slowly go down. The, the, the stumpage values went down, the timber values went down. So it wasn't as profitable. And, you know, and I'd had a 10 year run as a partner with, with Steve. We're still great friends. We went still at fishing two weeks ago, but I was, I was ready to move on. He was born and bred in timber. He kept the company. He bought me out. I took some land and some cash. And then I started back into what my dad taught me back in the 70s and 80s, buying tax sales and foreclosures. So in the Portland market, I set up a foreclosure buying 
situation. By now, I had a great relationship with my bank based on all our timber deals that we had done. And I was able to go into my bank and get a uh, $5 million line of credit to to go buy courthouse steps to uh, uh, foreclosure sales. Now, we had to pay cash for the foreclosure, but within 48 hours, I could go to my bank. As soon as I had the trustee's deed, they'd backfill my line of credit and I'd get all my cash back. And then boom, I was able to do that. So I did that for about three years. It's a hugely intensive business in, you don't work on the weekends, but boy, Monday through Friday, you know, your bids are coming in at 10 o'clock at night. You got to be at, at, you know, bidding at 10 in the morning. You get a pop-up bid at 7.30 in the morning. You got to run over and look at the house, make sure it's still standing. I mean, it, it, it was pretty intense. And then once you buy them, you got to rehab them and sell them all. So I got to thinking, so I'm watching all these people and all of a sudden the competition just got crazy as when Northwest Trustees Group was able to start putting the trustee sales up on the websites, all of a sudden, you know, ladies are showing up to bid with their baby in the stroller. And you're, so that's your, it used to be 10 of us. Now it's 30 of us and they're bidding these things up. And I'm like, you know, I think I would rather go back to my old hard money lending days and just lend the money out to these folks, let them do all the work. I'll make, you know, little less, sometimes I make more. And so I, I rolled out of that and I, I started up, you know, my uh, hard money company in basically 2002 in the Portland market. And uh, I was able to do that with my bank. I had uh, significant lines of credit with them that I used for my hard, hard money activities. And then in the Portland market, it was becoming very tough for deal flow. And that's how I ended up out in the Midwest. I had ended up of all places in Jackson, Mississippi in 2002 through some guy I met on the internet. I flew out there and I, I really kind of liked the the low value asset and I saw a niche. Most of the players were still at this $7,500,000 minimum and these guys were just dying to get twenty dollars and $30,000 loans. Well, you can, because of the loans are so small, you can charge a way higher APR on them. I'm starting to interview a closing attorney and I'm, I'm looking upside down on a note he's got, and it says 2.5%. And I look at him and go, who's lending money at 2.5% hard money? He goes, no, brother, that's 2.5% a month. <laughs> I said, done. <laughs> oh. So uh, fast forward in a year and a half, I'm the largest hard money lender in Mississippi. And I'm doing pretty good in Memphis, and I'm over in Georgia, and I'm up in Indianapolis, and I'm over, you know, I'm all over the Southwest. And I had about $35 million out in those markets. So when I talk about, and then most of my clients were buying these, I was funding their turnkey operations. So they're buying the homes, fixing them up, and selling to all these people in LA. So ergo, and, and then we invented the Burr method back in 2002, <laughs> 2003. So we start to figure this out. I'm meeting with some um, mortgage brokers down in LA who are also with the marketing reps in LA. You know, most of the turnkey stuff comes from marketing reps out of Los Angeles. So I'm meeting with the marketing reps and with the, the lenders that are doing these deals. And they're like, you know, it'd be a lot easier if, you know, we could sell a whole heck of a lot of this, Jay, if you would put the person in title with your hard money and loan, and then I'll do the rate and term refi, pay you off, and and we'll be done. I said, well, you know, I'll do that. And so from 2002 to 2008, we were averaging 
300 loans a year or so um, in the Burr, all, all Burr method. All we'd put them into title, and then they would they would do a rate term refi and pay us off. That's awesome. So, so in those days, the buyers not only they didn't have to put up their own cash. They borrowed the money from me. I only required $1,000 from them. So they're buying a rental house with $1,000 down, but they had to be pre-approved. They had to have 700 FICO, W-2, full underwriting before I'd do my hard money loan. And then they would get their rate and term refi, and we'd get paid off, and it it, it worked quite nicely. Now that method has come back. It, it died from 08 to about two, two and a half years ago. It completely stopped because the lenders, you know, the takeout lenders stopped. Yeah. But um, that, you, that's how I did that. Can you explain real quick for people who don't know what like Burr, what, what the Burr process is or like or like why that works? Can you explain to a brand newbie who's never heard that before? Like, and, what are we talking and about? And what does Burr stand for? Well, what? that's 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 uh, uh, brand Brandon coined that term, so I'll let him tell you what it stands for. Buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. I did Great not clear, clearly. I did not invent that because it's been around since longer before I was ever. I was still in high school when you were burying, apparently. So well, <laughs> well, and and let me clarify on that because I think it's really important. Like you know, that's one of those things. Like some guru comes up, like hey, yeah. I've got the blah blah blah, yeah. and like. I invented this thing. Well, no, you didn't invent it. Yep. Like Brandon didn't invent Burr. It's yep. just he he put together a name for what he was doing. But like tons of people have been doing it way before he ever even thought of the idea. So yeah, just yeah. Yeah. When somebody just says they have a new thing, really, it's a it's a new name. You it's a new name an for thing. an old thing. Okay. Yeah, 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 typically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there there isn't any anything new in real estate. Hardly yeah. ever. Yeah. If if. If someone's doing it now, someone did it 20 years ago, did it 40 years ago, did it 60 yep. years ago. Yep. So so what that means is how it's being played out today is because the hard money lenders aren't doing what we did because it, it, it did become risky when people couldn't refi. People are paying cash now and then they they buy it, they rehab it, they get it reappraised, they pull their cash out. Uh, hopefully, the the theory is, or the hope is, they've 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 bought a wholesale deal and they rehabbed it at a such a price that they've got substantial equity, so that when they do their seventy five percent refi, it pulls all their cash back. So it's a way for them to uh, get into rental properties with literally. Well, they have to have the money to buy it first, but they can rinse and repeat. They can end up with one hundred percent financing using X amount of dollars to start and just start to roll through. So um, for, you know, up to 10 mortgages, most, most folks can get, you know, theoretically you can, you know, with, with one, one set of capital, you can end up with 10 homes without having to wait to save up the money for each home for 30% down to buy each one. And that, that's why it's a, it's a popular method. Yeah. 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 And you know, just to put out there, like the biggest problem you have, and you alluded to this is, if you can't get the refinance, you know, like that's why hard money yeah. lenders don't like to do Burr that much because, you know, especially yeah, I, would never, of, you know, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because like, like what if you can't get the refi? It's, it's so I like, I use private money lenders. I use family and friends, people that I know. Well, I say, Hey, this is the plan. This is what I want to do. If something goes wrong, I can't get the refi. Well, you know, I'll sell it then, you know, worst case, we may have to extend the loan another year. And I make my lenders aware of that upfront that this is what I right. want to do, but here is the risk. The risk is I can't refi it. And, uh, well, with a hard money lender, we're just, most of them are, especially now, the hard money lenders are pretty formal and pretty stick to their, whatever the terms of the notes are. Yep. Especially you go with a crowd funder, those, those guys aren't going to bend. Yep. You know, if, if if you miss the date by a day and you owe two more points, they're going to charge you two more points. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, yep. well, that's extremely regulated. So, yep. obviously, that ties in. All right, so, you know, uh, you're doing these bird loans. Of, you know, you said about 300 loans uh, over that period. Oh, wait, comes the market, you know, hits the skids. How do you get through that downfall? And what have you been doing since? Okay, that's Great question. So again, this gave me a PhD in in uh, Midwest rentals. Uh, I had about 480 loans out in force in 08. I ended up owning a little over 200 houses because wow. the people could not refinance. All my borrowers were out of LA, 95% of them. They either gave me the keys or, or they went dark and I had to foreclose. And so from the year of 2009, I actually repositioned my family, my wife and I, and and my dogs, and we rented a house in uh, Mississippi, in Madison, and brought our plane down, and I sat there for a year flying to all these little towns, you know, these little cities that were where I'd done all these loans, foreclosing on houses. Literally, now I know why the banks, I never am going to say the banks are just discombobulated when it comes to foreclosures because here I am, I'm the bank. My, my borrow went dark on me in LA. I'm knocking on the door. The tenant doesn't know who I am. I'm trying to tell them, here's my card. I'm a lender from Oregon. And by the way, I now own your house and you need to give me the rent. They think I'm lying. I mean, it, it, it was tough. It was tough. So that took about two years for me to straighten all that out and, and understand the, you know, the demographics and the, the, the renters and so on and so forth. I'm, I'm, it took two years to do that. And it's taken eight years or so to, I'm, I'm down to probably like my last four or five of those after a couple hundred. So you just sold them off, sold them off and, um, you know, took some pretty major losses at, at the same time, but proud to say, uh, made it through without any reorganization, uh, paid all my lenders a hundred percent and their interest. Thank God my loans were, were at bank rates. Yeah. <laughs> so, and my bankers did stick by me. They didn't call them all due. You know, they let me, they let me pay them off. That's cool. So, so then at the same time, I'd also had some hard money lending going in the Portland market and I'd gravitated into new, new construction, hard money loans. And I had probably about 12 of those go bad. And then I had to go in and put the pieces back together, literally, you know, three quarters built houses. So I get in there and I, I redo them. And those, those we did a little bit better with cause they were in the Portland market. And I, and it got me to thinking, you know, this building isn't all that difficult and at the end of the day, being the hard money lender, I'm the one taking 100% of the risk. These guys have just gone away. The builder's gone. You know, he handed me the keys. And that's, so I decided, you know, I'm going to go out and I think I'm going to try this myself. So in 03-ish, I talked my bank into selling me eight of their REO lots. They gave me, uh, because I've been with my same banker for 24 years, uh, he basically, I'd put 10% in, but then it was 100% financing. We did, the market started to recoup. I hired a builder by fee. We did really good on them. So fast forward to now, and I've built probably 200 and some homes, wow. you know, since since 2003. And then I found Charleston, South Carolina, um, about four years ago. And being in aviation like I am, 
Um, I'm pretty keen to but what Boeing's doing. And I fly in there and I see this big Boeing factory. And and I knew the 787 was had fixed their battery problems. And I knew it was a plastic airplane. <clears throat> and it was going to be, you know, I just figured, you know, this is really going to go. Boeing airplanes are made of plastic? The 787 is. I'm never flying again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's stronger than metal. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so don't worry. And... And so, uh, you know, I, I pioneered areas in Charleston where everybody thought we were crazy. And we've so done extremely the good there. In Charleston. Yeah. Yeah. I was buying in, in regentrifying areas. There was just me and like two other local guys doing it. And it was a risk. You know, I couldn't get a bank to loan me the money. We had to do it with all cash. And um, now I have bank facilities there, you know. 25 houses later, I've proved the model. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and that, that's a great market. So that's, that's what I'm doing today. And then I still have significant capital in play in the turnkey business and fix and flip business in, uh, in hard money. But I don't do what I used to do where I had a big company and I was on the internet and, and, you know, we were marketing. I've, I've pretty much just identified 12, 13, you know, companies that I like, and I've, I've just, I've become their capital partners, but we're, you know, we're doing the same thing. We're providing capital for them to buy inventory, rehab homes, sell it. And it's more of a, a joint venture type situation than a uh, hard money loan. Hey, Jay. Yes. Wow. You're, you're, you're <laughs> kind of a big deal, apparently. <laughs> Not really. I'm just yeah. behind the, you know, under the radar. No, this this is great, man. I mean, it's really awesome. I, I love I love just seeing the path. You know, one thing leads to the next. I, I love hearing about your connection to to markets and what the markets are doing and identifying motion in markets, things like you know, talking about Boeing and and you know, areas kind of building up and talking about how, you know, the economy plays into your strategy and just kind of watching the shift that you've made over the years and kind of the rebound on the, on the hard money area. It's just, it's really fascinating. What, I mean, you've done, you've pretty much done it all. What, what's been the most exciting over the years? I mean, you know, things maybe you can't do today anymore that were amazing and you wish you could, but the market doesn't really allow for it over, over your, you know, what was it? 40 year career. What's been the most fun? Well, I, I I really enjoyed the timber business because one, it got me out into the into the woods. The loggers are really on. It, those are subcontractors that show up at four thirty in the morning every morning, as opposed to guys that work on houses. Yeah. And and you can get killed if you don't do it right. So the the level of you know, uh, I'm not saying sophistication, the skill involved in the woods is 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 much more intense than one would just think that, you know, you walked up and chainsawed a tree down. And I just love the way you could go from buying something and being cashed out in 45, 45 days. And it was quite profitable. So uh, I like that. I'm enjoying the new, the new home construction quite a bit as well. And I really like the teams I've put together all throughout the country because we've We've got some really good strategic partners, and I've met a few on bigger pockets. And I've taken I've taken a liking to a few folks that, you know, I frankly would not be doing what they're doing without me. And I've I met them on 
you know, I, I get a lot of stuff on bigger pockets, as you can imagine, and and I don't have the time to mentor or sit there and write out a business plan for people that that ask me. But I've taken a few under my wing, so I'm very very proud of that. I I I ran into a a young man on bigger pockets out in Indianapolis that, you know, he was whining pretty hard about the wholesaling and blah blah blah, and I kind of gave him a hard time, and and then I I said. Okay, I'm going to give you a, a uh, I'll pay for your real estate license. You just got to go get it. So I paid for his real estate license and he just emailed me. He just he just passed and he's going to uh, to uh, um, interview with a broker. <laughs> so so I've got those kind of things where I, I get up in the morning. I thought, you know, I'm going to do something nice for somebody today. That's so, awesome. Oh, man. That is that awesome. So it's time. For, it's time. For, it's time. The Random Five. All right, and it's time once again for that part of the show, which we call our Random Five, uh, where we ask you five random questions just to get to know you a little better. So number one, would you rather be a farmer or a politician and why? <laughs> farmer. farmer. <laughs> you don't grow tim- no, I'll grow timber that's get for replanting. That, all right. that'll, get, that'll get me on the right side of the politicians. Planting the forest. Yep. <laughs> all right. All right. What, what's the dirtiest job you ever did? Oh, it could think. be real estate related. Well, this year I bought in Portland five hoarder houses, and they were about as nasty as they can be. When when my wife gets back from out of town, she's got a – I don't know how to upload things on your site. So she's going to upload some pictures because I want to – I got some good competition for some of your hoarder houses. Oh, pictures. I can't wait to see this. Yeah, yeah you, can't, you can't even walk through them. They're just yeah. – well, I had, to, I had to bulldoze them all. They're that bad. Really? Wow. <laughs> the whole houses, they're down. Wow. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, I can't. So I'm going to see those pictures. If, if you get them I to got, us. I got pictures. If you get them to us before we uh, air the show, which is like in, what, a week and a half or something, it comes live. Anyway, we'll put the link in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show222. And uh, our guests can can see what those pictures look like. So that's awesome. All Super, right. Yeah. Cool. Next question for me. Uh, if your house, you wake up in the middle of the night, your house is on fire, you got to run out of the house, and it's going to burn down. What one object, besides your wife, would you grab on your way out the door? <laughs> uh, well, um, I don't know. I, I mean, that, that, that's too random. I, I'm having a hard time with that one. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, we'll, we'll I go with my Not your dog? Uh, come on. Yeah, I, my two dogs sleep on our bed, so I guess I have to take them along with the cat. Cool. We got a menagerie uh, on the bed. Leave the cat. <laughs> Nobody needs a cat. Yeah, we need. We all need cats. All right, Josh. Uh, next question. All right, next question. And 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 I, I feel like was it you, Brandon, who had the pet peeve about this? Maybe it was somebody else. Do do you oh, stand or yeah. walk on escalators? Me? me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, well, I I usually will walk if. Because I I get on a lot of really big escalators, especially uh, like in the Atlanta airport. There's really big ones there, and I'm getting off a flight, and I want to get some uh, you know get some blood circulating, so I'll walk on them. Okay. okay. Uh, and by question? the way, it was Scott Trench that has the issue with oh uh, Scott escalators. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question of the random five. Yeah, let's go with this one. I like uh, this one. I I do too. What is one thing you could, okay, if you could uninvent one thing in the world so that it no longer existed, what would it be? Um, no political answers, please. Yeah, because I was, I was going to say uh, TFR for uh, Mar-a-Lago. 
What's that? Poor people. Well, that's a uh, uh, a temporary flight restriction oh. for when the president is there, and <laughs> so it it screws up the whole world. And the poor people in Florida that have flight schools, which there's a huge amount, every time uh, Trump is in Florida, their whole schools are shut down. So I would end every weekend. A TFR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. All right. Well, thank, yeah. Thank you. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, 
Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. You know, I don't want this to necessarily be about BP, um, but, you know, as a consequence of your being so active, you know, I, I think it makes sense to ask the question, why do you participate on bigger pockets? You know, is it just the sheer love? Is it, you know, obviously you get value out of it. You find partners and opportunities, but um, why exactly do you do it? Well, um, well, one, I work out of my house. So, um, you know, I'm on the computer and it's just something I'm interested in. It's something I've done. And I usually have a, you know, an opinion that, you know, on, on most things, as you probably <laughs> read. Really? <laughs> so, no, not so, some people, some people probably like it, some don't, um, <laughs> but I, I do tend to speak my mind. Um, and if I can help some folks, that that's great. And, you know, I've, I, I pretty much only go to, you know, bigger pockets and then I have my aviation website that I go to and then, you know, sports. So those are about what my interests are. And, and I've, I don't know, I can't, I can't really fathom why I do it, but, um, it it is, it's, it's, you, you do have that like addiction button and I am addicted. (laughs) I will tell you, I am addicted. That's funny. Well, I just on that note, I do want to encourage. I mean, there's a lot of people listening to the show. Our shows get you know, what 150,000 listens each. Like, there's a lot of people listening right now who do not engage in the forums. And I want to just encourage you guys. Like, you know, like I know I've been helped a ton by things that Jay has said in the past, and by a lot of other people on the site. So if you guys have, I mean, five, ten minutes a day, even jump on and just offer your advice. Like, you never know, like, like whose life you can change forever just by like saying one thing or hey, don't buy that deal or hey you know, you're doing a good job or like those little things like make a massive difference. I know they did for me. I know they have for, you know, thousands and thousands of other people. So that's my encouragement to you guys. Well, I, I think also the, um, I know with the folks that will hit me, I'm like post it out on so that if I'm going to take the time to reply to your detailed question, everybody can see it or yeah, at least who's interested, right? I'm not going to engage in, you know, don't be embarrassed to ask the question. Yep. Um, you know, just go ahead and, and, and you can tag me and I'm, I'm happy to answer the question. I love that because, you know, I, I've been saying that for, for a lot of years and I know Brandon does it too. It's, you know, if somebody sends a private message with a question, just put it out there. Cause you know, not only are you going to get Jay, if, if you're messaging Jay, but you'll, you know, you'll likely get other people, other opinions that might be better than Jay's on, on that particular subject. Oftentimes, if it's Brandon answering, the opinion, <laughs> the other opinions will be better. Uh, you don't Jay, want my yeah. opinion anyway, but. Um, well, a lot, a lot of real estate too, is I'll get on there and go, it's like, it's regionalized. Yeah. You can't make a global United States, you know, everything's the same in the United States. Right. I mean, I, I'm in 14 different states, and I can tell you every one of them is different. 
you know yeah. how they how they transact. So 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 before we kind of wrap this segment up, I, I had a we had a couple couple of quick questions. One, you've talked about being in fourteen different states. You've got teams throughout the country. How do you go about building a good team and and finding partners that you really could rely on and trust? Well, um, first off, my my core partners that I started with when I decided to go back into funding for Turnkey and Fix and Flip were the guys that I was already doing it with prior to 08. And these are the guys that helped me. They didn't run away and hide. And so they already had, uh, and they needed help, you know, because they had been bruised uh, through 08 to 010, but I knew their character and their credibility. And so I'm like, you know, we all know how to do it. We don't need the practice. We, we know what we're doing. I have access to the capital. You guys can execute. So let's put this partnership together. So that was my core. As I've built out of it has been, you know, a couple folks off of BP. And then just I'll watch people on BP occasionally. And if I kind of like them, I'll, I'll follow them for a while. And if I kind of like what they're doing and I think I might be of some benefit, I may contact them. Yeah. Right. Um, but I don't advertise and I'm not looking to advertise because I don't want to get swamped with what I don't have the time for. Basically, I'll take on a newbie, but, you know, like one a year. Otherwise, I'm looking for more experienced folks that um, I can do this with. And right now I'm pretty much filled up. I've I've got every, all that I need. Well, you know, if I could just add on to that, like I, I say this all the time. So I'm really I love hearing your side of this, but I tell newbies all oh, the yeah. time, like, get active, get involved, ask questions, grow. Like, like if you can just put yourself out there and be seen as a person who is excited and ambitious and is, is actually doing what they say they're going to do, like guys like Jay will, will, will see you and they'll follow you and maybe they'll want to work with you someday. But when you're just hiding, you're lurking in the background, reading once in a while, like, I mean, it's fine. You might learn a lot, but the best networking is when you put yourself out there and just start talking and engaging and, and building those, uh, I guess even relationships. I don't know. It's a weird thing to say. Yeah. You build relationships online, but most of my best friends in the world like are from bigger pockets that I met online, and half of them yeah. are, I've never even met. It's like uh, it's true. <laughs> so anyway, put yourself out there, and uh, yeah, you never know yeah. what kind of relationships you'll build. So. Cool. Cool. Um, all right. Next question. Oh, I got, well, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say I got I got you know last last question for for me. <laughs> you, you had mentioned newbies, and and so I think the. The question is, what, what's the, what are the biggest mistakes you see newbies make? You know, you're, you're talking to, you know, 150, <clears throat> potentially hundreds of thousands of people right now. Um, what do you want to tell all those new real estate investors to, to you know, help them avoid uh, making these mistakes? Um, what I do, and I'll be a guest speaker occasionally at RIAs and stuff um, up and down the coast here. I'll get in a room, and I'm going to use this analogy, and I'll say you know, how many of you are investors? Boom, you know, half half or all the room goes up. How many of you are private lenders? The other half of the hands go up. And I'll say, my job is done here. See that investor over there? There's your private <laughs> go lender. Go yeah. talk. That's so I'll, I'll just say, you know, most of the newbies are looking for the unicorn private investor that for some reason they think that this private investor with a lot of money is only getting 1% in the bank and they should be lending it to them for a low amount of money. And, and they spin their wheels. They never find this guy that is, or person, guy, gal, uh, retirement account or whatever. And my advice to them is, is 
you you need to set it up and always honor the money. When you're starting out and you don't have the money, you need to honor the money. And when you honor the money, you give the money the lion's share. So if you're going to make $30,000 on a deal and you're starting out, pay them 20 and you take 10. Do that a few times. Build up your credibility. Don't sit there and say, I'm going to make 30 on this and, and I'm doing all the work and the money guy should only make 10 because he should be happy to make 10 because he's only making 1,000 in the bank. That is a flawed thinking and that's where I see most newbies make their mistake. Flip it around. Even today with my investment group, they make the lion's share. I, I make less. Any investor I bring in always makes more money than I do. And, and then when I put my own capital into the deal, and I do, I put significant capital in, I, I carve that out and that's mine. And I make 100% of that. I know what all my competition is doing. They're all trying to do, you know, 8 to 10%. And if I can come in there higher and say, this, this deal is going to make 30%, I'm going to give you 20, I'll take 10. Boom, I've closed the deal. That's how you raise capital. I like that. I like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. My my last question before we go to the fire round was simply like you, as a guy who's been on the forums a long time, what are the most common or what is the most, or one of the most common questions you see over and over and over? Is there anything that that comes to mind uh, that maybe like by answering it here, then, you know, people won't ask it as much. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that'll happen. (laughs) Yeah. That'll never change because most everything that's asked is, is answered. Asked and answered counselor. Um, (laughs) You know, the, you'll get the help. I I got a contract. What do I do? You know, I mean, you get that one all the time. You know, there, there's just a lot of those type of questions that, um, you know, if they would do a little bit of a search on the site, they probably could get it answered first before they ask the question second. But but I, I think it's okay to, I wouldn't want to discourage people from doing that because then you're going to keep people from posting and you're not going to get quite as much. If everybody went and just searched it and read the thing, there'd be no reason for them to post. Yeah, so there's a, fine li- there's a fine line there of letting them answer, ask the same question over and over and over. Yep. Yeah, and I, 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 there's been times where I've asked questions and then somebody would just be like, we already covered that over in this thread. But I go read that thread, I'm like, well, that's not you know, quite what I wanted. Or I wanted to continue the conversation like based on, you know, and so yeah, I, I would say also, yeah, don't be afraid to post, even if you think it's been asked before. If you have a, you know, if it's not like, you know, if it's a unique thing, post it. I mean, I, my thinking is more, you know, I don't know, a good example. It's like, where do I find hard money lenders? Uh, you know, like a question like that, a person could probably say, oh, go to the Bigger Pockets Hardman Lender directory, biggerpockets.com slash Hardman Lenders, or whatever. But a lot of questions are just not answerable in a, you know, one on one thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not just yes or no on a lot of questions. So, yeah, engaging conversations, jump in the forums, ask questions, all that stuff. So, with that, yeah. I, I, wanna, got, I got, I got, I got, oh, 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 you're not going to let me last, go. Last. Fine, whatever, fine. Well, you're gonna go to the you're gonna go to the fire round, and before I you am. do, I just I just I gotta ask I gotta ask uh, Jay Jay this final thing. Jay, you've been in the game for about forty something years. I mean, I'm I'm assuming at this point you you probably could retire, but you continue to to participate. Why? Well, um, 08 to 010 uh, kind of took my retirement away from me. So, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, so that isn't true. Um, <laughs> getting better. I'm, I'm about, at, I'm about back to where I was. But I, I will never retire. Um, it's just like when I work with Mr. Langer, who, you know, at 77, 78, couldn't do it anymore. I mean, I'll be doing this until I'm not functional um, or, or can't rationally do it. I love what I do. It's never been work to me. I never 
the idea of, oh, I need free time. I do this. I mean, I, I get all the free time I ever wanted anyway. I travel all over the country. I travel all over the world, you know, on business and pleasure. So it's just, it's just not work. I mean, I've, I love what I do. Yeah. I love that. Cool. That's great. All right. Well, awesome. hey, let's let's head over to the next segment of the show, which is going to uh, fit in well with you because you are so active in the forums, and that is our fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, the fire round. These questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, and uh, there's a very good chance that Jay's even answered these. Well, actually, so so Mindy pulled these questions for us, and, and I, I told her, I told her to try and pull questions that Jay has not already answered, um, <laughs> which proved to be a challenge. So here's here's four that that you haven't quite gotten to, and I'll let Brandon take it away. All right, number one, I just inherited six vacant lots. Now what do I do? Okay. Well, the first for six vacant lots. Well, again, regionalize. You have to go look at them and and uh, see what part of the country they're in. If they're in a uh, a hot market, inner city uh, that's regentrifying, you just hit the the mother load. If they're stuck out in uh, some uh, high desert town or some little town in the the middle of the United States that's surrounded by cornfields, they're probably not worth much. But uh, first thing you would do is go into the county. Go to the planning department, go to the building department, and just figure out what they're zoned. You can also just contact a good realtor in the area and ask them what they know about it. Cool. Awesome. All right, next question. I know it's a it's a broad one. How do I get started in private money lending? Well, that that's a good one. Um, private money lending, well, first off, a lot of folks need to realize in certain states you have to be licensed. It isn't just, hey, I'm doing private money lending and I'm I'm ex- exempt. So first thing you need to do is establish what state you're in and are you exempt or not. Like in uh, Oregon, you're not. You can do three a year and that's it. California, you can't do any. You have to be a, a real estate broker or NMLS licensed. And I see people on the forums arguing the fact that you don't, but they're wrong. And um, so one, first you want to figure out if you need licensing or not. And if you don't, then what you do is you have to, I think the easiest way to start is actually at the meetups and the, the are, you know, the RIA, RIA deals. And then you, you know, you get with somebody that you trust. You want to always, as you're starting out, you want to drive your collateral. Uh, you want to get your, you know, you want to get your title report. If you're unfamiliar with lending, then this is a case where I, I do think you do need an attorney if you're not versed in real estate. Or out here on the West Coast, you just need a really good escrow officer. Attorneys don't usually handle smaller vanilla type stuff. And then, uh, so it really, really bottom line comes down to how long does it take to foreclose? You need to just, you need to understand what your foreclosure rules are. And then do I want to own this house if, if whoever I'm lending the money fails? Um, and then if it's, construction lending or rehab lending, then you really need to, you know, you got to be out there, you know, you got to do inspections. I mean, I do inspections and, you know, you have to give them their money and draws and you want to personally witness that these, these draws have been done. The other thing you want to do is set up controls for uh, lien releases and subcontractor payments, but that that's pretty detailed, probably a little more detailed 
not as not as that's good. fiery, uh, but uh, the <laughs> details are awesome. Yeah, people like that stuff. All right, number three. Yeah. This is kind of a longer question, but I really like it. So I'm going to read the whole thing. Actually, uh, the question is from Philip, and it said the title was "Are buy and holds really making money?" Here's a, here's the thing. I'm wondering if we're really actually making money. It's not a rhetorical question, but <clears throat> would like genuine feedback. Here's a scenario. Let's say I want to live off cash flow, so I buy a lot of single family houses. I currently make. Uh, 500, if I make $500 a month in cash flow, but you figure repairs, maintenance, you're probably getting $300 a month per unit, $3,600 a year. The longer you hold the property, though, the more things break. More expensive is like the roof, uh, which would estimate at 10 grand. And every time the roof needs to be replaced, it wipes out years of cash flow. Then there's water heaters, AC units, etc. As a result, living off cash flow seems like a distant dream. Sure, my rents will increase over time, but so will property taxes uh, and other expenses. So. It seems like I'll make money from appreciation if the property, you know, is paid off. So is basically everyone's plan to pay off their houses and then live off cash flow, or is everyone buying houses at such a steep discount that they can live off the cash flow immediately? So what do you think? Good question. Okay. Yeah, that that is a that's a fabulous question, and I'm going through that right now, selling off some of my uh, A-class rentals that I bought for GoZone tax benefits in Mississippi, and a lot of people don't understand the cost at exit. I think if you're going to go into the rental game, it's a long game. It's a very long game. You, you're, you're, you're buying that and you're, you're going to be married to these for a long time. If you have to exit out of them, it's usually not a happy day. Um, so, you know, when you make a commitment to go into the rental game, you got to, you got to go long term. I do believe the quicker you can get them paid off, the better you are. Now, I know that's totally contrary to a lot of other people that, you know, want to have max leverage always. The more wealthy, successful entrepreneurs I know in real estate have quite a bit of it paid for. And when you, when you get, especially if you're out in the Midwest and the lower value asset stuff, the quicker you can get those paid off, the quicker you're going to have a happy day because the, now they're bringing in $800 a month and your expenses are 200 and now you're 600 instead of 200 and you have no debt. And if you have to, and if you have to exit, you know, you, you have a myriad of ways to do that. You can own or finance, you know, if, if you have to take a little discount, you're not coming up with cash to, to part with your, your property. So, and then I think also you need to, you need to buy in neighborhoods that are appropriate for your, uh, uh, your investing skill, your uh, landlording skill. And um, the biggest mistake I see a lot of the newbies make is they buy just strictly by price and strictly by pro forma, which usually leads them into super low value assets and pretty rough neighborhoods. And, and those generally there's no return from yeah. over, oh. over time. And I, I was, I was one of those guys. It's, it's a, it's a terrible direction to go. <laughs> it's not fun. It's definitely not fun. Um, all right. Last question of the fire round. Can someone please advise me who would be the right person to hire to do a land inspection before purchase? Like a contractor would be hired to inspect a home who inspects land and deems it okay to build on. Oh, okay. Well, that's a great question. Yeah. It depends on where you're at. I mean, if you're in a city with city sewer, water, all your utilities right at the curb, that's as simple as walking into the uh, uh, one, the planning department to make sure your use is, is approved um, over to the public works department to see what your sewer tap or water tap would be. Uh, if the power lines are overhead, that's pretty much a given. So that's pretty easy. If we're talking about rural properties now, 
that's a those are very good points. Normally, you have to do on-site septic systems. So the first place you got to go is that health department. Some places in the country, it's no problem. Other places, Washington being one, um, Sonoma County, California being one, uh, putting a, uh, a septic t- system in can be hard, time-consuming, and very expensive, and or can be not possible. You can have a lot of property that you you simply can't build on. And then for wells, that's the best thing to do there is call a local well driller. And, you know, they're like well drilling savants, most of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that property over there. I drilled a well over two lots over. It was 460 feet. <clears throat> you know, we'll, we'll hit water at, you know, 400 feet there, no problem. Or they'll go, man, you just bought a dry hole. <laughs> I can mm. pump, pump some dry holes down here, but uh, I've been pretty lucky over the years. I've I've drilled a couple dry holes, but but usually we, we've hit water. Um, <clears throat> and then um, I do believe in witching. You know, you can get the guy that's really good with the witching sticks. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Is that still oh, a thing? Yeah. I did not know oh, that was oh, still yeah. a thing. Oh, oh you're yeah. not joking. You're not joking. No, no. Wow, water I did not They're know that. Dousers. You're talking the guy with the little fork, the little Y-shaped uh, stick. Well, it's, well, the Indians use the stick. The the you know the the past the Indians they use little metal rods, and when they come up to the water, the rods will just separate like that. Really? So they're called water dousers. Yeah. I, I got to see this for real, man. This uh, like my, I thought this was BS my whole life. No, no. My dad was very superstitious, and he had an Indian water dowser when, when we were building a water system up at Clear Lake, California, a town called Nice. He's up on this ridge line way up above, and you, you normally would pull wells down in a low area where the water runs. And the Indians there, no, you need to put the well there, and you need to go, you know, 600 feet. Sure's that. He gets it. He gets the well. We had one of those vicious California droughts. <clears throat> All the wells down in town go dry, and the only well running is the one my dad put up in 1969 in a big old water tank. Wow. Fed the whole town. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, wow. yeah, I, be- I believe in that. But that, out, of that's- P- out of PC-ness, uh, Native Americans we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that PC now? I never know. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm everything's, everything's PC. All right. Um, no, that's 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 fascinating and great great story. Thank you for for sharing that, Jay. Yep, my pleasure. All right, so why don't we uh, why don't we shift away from the fire round and head over to the last segment of the show, which we lovingly call our famous four. All right, these are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. We want to see what you got to say, Jay. Do you have a do you have one, and if so, what is your favorite real estate related book? Well, I don't. The the one book my dad bought for me and I I read early on and I've kind of gone as just the you know Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Okay. I'm not a big reader of business books, frankly. I, I I find them pretty dry and hard to get through. And then one book I got turned on by the Dingo, um, give him a plug here, <laughs> um, is uh, Rocket Fuel. I like that. And one of the reasons I like it it was it was by um, oh uh, oh shoot. I, can't I'm forgetting too. I read it. I I don't remember sadly because well his his dad was one of the the big motivators for uh, real estate people back in the uh, Floyd Wickman. So Floyd Wickman's yep. son Gino wrote Gino. it. Yeah, and my wife was a uh, was a worked for Floyd as a uh, you know would go out and train real estate people how to how to be better real estate people. Uh-huh. And and I kind of like that book. Um, All right. 
So you answered uh, you answered my first question, which is business book. And how about hobbies? Uh, you were you were talking about you know the different websites that you visit. I assume those uh, coincide with with your hobbies as yeah, well. My, my hobbies are um, you know I have a love of aviation. I've been flying since I was in my early twenties, and continue today. And then we like to we fish. We like to fly fish. We go from Alaska to Montana fly fishing. And then we like to travel. We travel extensively kind of all over the world, actually. So, That's awesome. Cool. Well, yep. if you ever fly out to uh, to Colorado, obviously, let me let me know. I can watch you in your plastic airplane and yeah. from, from, from far away. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a long that's a long flight for my plane. Brand, <laughs> where where Brandon's at is a little a little better. Yeah, you can make <laughs> it up here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. My last question of the day, Jay. What do you think sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, they fail, or they never get started? Well, you know, there's a certain amount of stick to itness, and then there's also just a reality check. You know, what market are you in? Every market is different. You have to play to the market, and so you just can't take a a broad broad stroke and say this is going to work in this area. Um, so I think that that's important. And then, um, you know, uh, as much as anything, real estate's a capital intensive business. What I see a lot of people do is they just jump ahead. Oh, I have. $1,200 in the bank and I'm going to start, I'm going to spend it all sending out, you know, direct mail when they have no ability to close anything really. And so I see a lot of those people are just not going to get anywhere. So real estate just, you just have to realize you gotta, you gotta get some capital together. So you have some staying power, what, regardless of where you're going to be. And then you can let it grow on each on itself. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Jay, before we let you go, where can people find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? And, um, you know, anything else you might want to share about reaching well, they, out or promoting? Yeah, they can, um, they can connect with me on bigger pockets if they like. And, um, I didn't have my, so they can, you know, send me one of those, uh, what do you call those requests? Uh, those friends friend, requests. Yeah, friend or colleague, colleague requests. requests. Yeah. 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 So th they can do that. I don't have a website or anything. So, uh, you know, I'm not a actively marketing. One thing I am working on, and I, if if I'm allowed to say this, um, yep. I am coming out with a product. I've got a lot of hits for a lot of people that um, are in between deals, are on the sidelines, they don't know what to do, and you know, they don't have. Most of the people that I deal with on, on my end are are it's more um, hedge fund type money, you know, large large amounts. So I'm going to come out with a product for smaller amounts and shorter time time periods. And um, and that's through your hard uh, money lending, right? Yeah, okay, where cool. they can, where they can come in and revolve in uh, basically like a a one year commitment with a 90 day call. So they'll have a place to park money if they want their money back in 90 days. They just have to to give me a notice. And then, you know, I just don't fund the next deals and then, then they get paid off. I've, I've brought in a little bit of that capital in the last six or seven months, just because I got tired of telling people, no, I don't have something for a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And I'm, I'm reluctant to uh, make referrals uh, with people with cash uh, because there's just not a lot of people I know that well that, you know, I don't, I don't know what'll happen to them if they yeah. they get with the wrong person. So awesome, Makes awesome. Sense. Well, well, Jay, thank you so much. Really, uh, honestly, it's 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 
great to chat with you. Your story is fascinating, like we said, and really do appreciate all the time that you put in to help the community. And I, I don't mean the community by just bigger pockets. I mean the community at large. Um, you know, every, everyone who's out there in the real estate investing space. I mean, your wisdom is is uh, truly appreciated. So, uh, thank you for sharing it. Oh, it's it's totally my pleasure. And you guys have you know the number one site on the on the planet. And, and I think a lot of people, you get a lot of kudos and I want to give you kudos as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible what you guys have created here. Thank so, you. I and appreciate I appreciate that. it. Yep. You bet. Awesome. All right. Okay. Take care. Thanks Jay. Aloha. Nui, aloha. All right, guys, that was Jay Heinrichs. Wow. This guy has seriously done it all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's that famous phrase that says like uh, success leaves clues. So like, you know, obviously like look at people who are successful and have done big things. Uh, I like looking at guys like Jay because I'm like, this guy's been around for 40 years. I mean, he was investing in real estate when I was in diapers. So like I like to learn, uh, you know, last week. So I like to learn about like kind of what's, you know, what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them, what mistakes they've made, all that good stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Well, big thanks again to Jay for coming on the show. Guys, this was show 222 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Please, if you haven't already, leave us a rating and review on whatever format that you're listening to the show. We really would appreciate it. If you have not yet subscribed to the show, you should definitely do that. And, you know, as as per our quick tip and, and really as per the conversation with Jay, um, there is so much value in connecting and interacting on bigger pockets um, just by getting in there and helping other people out or by getting in there and asking questions and, and, and being curious. Um, you start to build a name for yourself and, and you start to connect with guys like this. And, you know, I mean, Jay was out paying for some guy's real estate license. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's awesome. And, and the cool thing is he's not the only one who does that stuff. There's so many people who are so giving um, and it's such a great community. So I definitely encourage people to do that. But uh, I don't know. That's all I really got, Brandon. That's all I got. I'm going anyway, to uh, get out there, try to keep your shirt on, not, not scare anybody away. Uh, <laughs> I will. I will attempt not to scare anyone away. I'll keep yes. the, keep the white contained. <laughs> yes, yes, you should do that. All right, guys, show 222 in the books. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. 
Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.